nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Rome, this is The Twilight Show with Freya O'Dell. Good evening and welcome to the Thursday Twilight Show with me, Freya O'Dell. Tonight I'm going to be joined by my Rome buddy, Rebecca Markham, and we are going to be chatting all things planning, curriculum planning, medium term planning and lesson planning. So grab yourself an aperitivo and get ready to get involved with the conversation. Live from Rome. This is The Twilight Show with Freya O'Dell on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, um, Rebecca. I don't know what happened, but I just cut you off. So, if you, uh, oh, you're in. You're a speaker now. I can't see you, but you're a speaker now. So, oh, there you are. Hello. You hear me? I can. Good evening. Evening, Freya. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I am not bad. I'm pretty glad it's Thursday. I am exhausted, but it is Friday tomorrow, which is good. And I have my Aperol spritz. Okay, so I was going to say, first of all, if you are joining us live tonight, you need to be having an aperitivo. So make sure you've got your aperitivo with you. Uh, what are you drinking tonight, Rebecca? I'm on an Aperol spritz. You're, oh, I mean, it's the best, isn't it? It is the go-to cocktail um, for, for Italy. Although, I have to say... Stuart Pryke doesn't like an Aperol spritz. When he was over in Rome, I know, I know, I started to change <laughs> my opinion. I started to change my opinion on Stuart when he told me he didn't like Aperol spritz. But leftover iron water? Is that spritz, Andrew? It can't be. What's, what's your tipple? If you're here with us tonight, what, what are you drinking? What's your tipple? Um, hope you're having a good evening. And I was thinking about you today because you haven't had a half term, have you? No. Oh, wait, me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have yeah. <laughs> No, I have not. I'm going I mean... a little bit crazy. Um, everyone else is talking about their current half terms or their upcoming half terms. We haven't had one and we don't actually get one. Um, we do get an extra week at the summer, though. Um, that just seems very, very far away, Freya. An extra week at the summer when you already have nine weeks. Who needs that, yep, right? It... Who needs <laughs> Right. Right. Well, we, to be fair, we are on half term. So as you can see, international schools in Rome do things differently. Um, we are on half term this week. It hasn't been much of a half term, though. I have to say, uh, I've done a lot of working. I've done a lot of working. You'll know this because year 13, <laughs> year 13 deadlines are approaching. So we've got the IOs coming up. We've got the HLs coming in. It's that exam pressure time for us here um, internationally. Um, lots of reports to write, etc., etc. But I did have a day off today, and I went to an art gallery, and I saw some art, and that was lovely. I also went to I the dentist. I saw those pictures. Those pictures look lovely. Yeah, it was good. It was Where good. was the it art was... gallery? Okay, so I can't pronounce it. I can't pronounce it. It's it's near Gov. It's near 
Spania. It is near Spania. That's as good as you're going to okay. get from me. Okay. But it's a exhibition on crazy. So it's all things crazy, but it was super interesting. So that was good. And I went to a risotto restaurant, which was really good as well. Oh, nice. I know. It was dedica- a restaurant dedicated to risotto. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And did it, did it have better risotto than you've had anywhere else in Rome? i don't know i had a pistachio and burrata risotto which was lovely that sounds so good i don't know if it's in my top risotto so i don't know i don't know but it was good and it was nice to be out and about today um so before i start to chat with rebecca we're talking all things planning today so do get involved with the chat um on uh, the chat messaging just below, or if you're on Twitter, tweet us um, as we're going through our talk today. Um, just before I do that, though, obviously, I want to just say that our thoughts and our prayers and our, um, yeah, our thoughts and our prayers fundamentally are with Ukraine at the moment, obviously, an awful situation, yeah. quite terrifying situation. And just before, I can hear you swishing your spritz, you know. Um, <laughs> Just before uh, we get onto the topic of curriculum, um, Denise on Twitter posted a lovely, beautiful poem um, written by a woman called Anastasia who um, wrote it after visiting the neighbourhood, and I'm sorry if I get this wrong, Donetsk. So I'm going to read this poem, and I'm just going to say that, again, our thoughts and our prayers are with Ukraine and uh, obviously a really scary, um, awful situation. So... You teach me this wartime trick to look for living pot plants in the windows on Kievska Avenue. Most are crisped and brown, but one green geranium and a succulent spider plant offer proof of life for the person who waters them. Whole apartment blocks are abandoned. Collapsed telephone lines, blown up branches litter the road. No voices, no tinkering metalwork in the distance, no buses, no playing children. Leaves rustle, white noise. You say it's like Sunday every day. Stray dogs and swallows and the soft thud of shelling. So thoughts with um, Ukraine today. Hello, Lucy. I absolutely love your show. Um, I love your show. There are so many shows that I listen to regularly and absolutely do. And I have to say, before I, again, before I start chatting to Rebecca, I'm in so much, I have so much admiration for all the um, Teacher Talk Radio hosts. Um, It is terrifying. It is terrifying doing this. Um, I'm not a massive, those of you that know me, I'm not a massive fan of public speaking anyway. I find it really, really um, nerve wracking and get quite sick with worry and quite anxious. Um, And so it's really, really nerve wracking. But it is also and I'm sure Lucy will pipe in here. It's also fantastic CPD, isn't it? It's brilliant CPD because um, you get to talk to lots of people about lots of different things um, and you get to sort of learn more and have really rich discussions. Brilliant, best anyway. Yeah, it is. It's really great. And I can talk about teaching and learning all day long. Um, so it's great to be back and it's great to be doing this again. And, and hello to those of you who will be tuning in after to listen to the podcast. So... Tonight, we're going to be talking curriculum. So we're going to be talking all things curriculum um, planning, uh, medium term planning, lesson planning. It's a really interesting topic, isn't it? And it's been a really interesting topic for a few years since uh, 
dare I say it, the new Ofsted framework kind of reinvigorated a, a thinking process with regard to curriculum. And it's one that is obviously discussed all the time on Twitter um, in terms of the, the organization of the curriculum, what goes into the curriculum. Um, and then lesson planning as well. You know, there's lots of different approaches and methods. So we're going to hash out some of those thoughts tonight. We're going to refer to some of the tweets that people have been sending in all week. So thank you to those who've been tweeting in. Um, we're going to start with curriculum planning. Um, so I think for me, key stage three curriculum planning is the most flexible, isn't it, in terms of you have the national curriculum, I guess, in England, but other than that, there are very little um, constraints. Um, and so it's been the area, I think, that a lot of schools have focused in on in terms of strengthening their Key Stage 3 curriculum offering. Um, when I joined my school, Key Stage 3 was a bit hit and miss and it was a bit neglected for the first couple of years. And then in September 2020, uh, we spent some time as a department together working on our Key Stage 3 curriculum, and it was excellent. It was a really, really good way of collaborating together. And, and what we did is, like many people, we, we started uh, at the end, the end point, with regard to our IB. And therefore, what we wanted our pupils to be able to do by the time they got to the IB programme and then what we wanted our pupils to be able to do by the time they got to the GCSE program. And that was a really interesting process for us because the IB, the IGCSE don't necessarily fit together. I mean, Rebecca is, is more familiar with NYP and she'll talk about that a little bit later on. But the IGCSE and the IB don't really flow as fluidly as the NYP would. So that was a really important process for us to go through, really, in terms of making sure that there was an alignment and a level of cohesion across the key stages so that we could really support our pupils to make progress. Um, so that was really, really useful, thinking about what we wanted our pupils to be able to do. And, and tagged into that, we, we were really focused on, on what we felt they had to study, um, you know, what they needed to study in the IB programme, and therefore what they would need to study in Key Stage 4, Key Stage 3, that would help them, benefit them. So a bit of knowledge and skills working together. We, we, we started with the skills first, tracked that back, and then we thought about the core knowledge and worked on that. And, and in doing so, you then start to piece together the kind of sequencing for your curriculum, don't you, at Key Stage 3, to support what will come later. I think one of the most interesting things for me moving internationally, and again, international teachers will be able to um, chip in here and please feel free to chip in with the comments or do ring in at some point. Um, the most interesting thing for me was uh, with the IB programme and moving internationally was uh, the, the drive for conceptual, um, the conceptual curriculum. So thinking about the key concepts. Good evening, Tom. Hello, Tom thinking about concepts and concepts being the driving force for the curriculum at the IB. And then for me, what's really, really important is, is then bringing that bound down to key stage four and back down to key stage three and making sure that the concepts are uh, threaded all the way through. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how I did that with key stage four um, later on. So Rebecca, are you there? I am indeed. Hello. Um, What's, your, what's been your experience of curriculum sort of construction and, and organising curriculums over the years? 
I mean, it's, I think it's a really interesting area, kind of, I've been in three schools now, this is my third school, so my first one was Manchester in the UK in an academy, then I went to an IB MYP school, as you said, and now I'm at an American curriculum school. So I've had kind of these three extremely different experiences. So what you said about Key Stage 3 in the UK, our academy went down the route of um, basically getting the students to do GCSE-style assessments. And then our curriculum came from that. Like, it was very driven by, yeah, them trying to go back down, but beginning with the assessments. And we had to kind of, like, make sure that that really limited us, to be honest. And then we had to find ways of being a little bit more creative. Is that, but what's nice, at least about Key Stage 3, most of the time there is that less pressure, I think, of those results. So you feel a little bit more relaxed. You can be a bit more diverse with your curriculum choices and more creative with your assessment approaches. So when I moved to um, to Vietnam and I worked in an international school, so they, they do, for those people listening, the middle years program doesn't end in external assessments for year 10 and 11. It's actually completely up to you, kind of more like an American curriculum. So you have complete flexibility over what that curriculum looks like. So our constraints, and actually in my school now, the constraints have come from trying to, the politics of trying to honor what has previously been taught and previous resources. I've never had the opportunity to start from scratch. Um, it's always kind of been this amalgamation of transient teachers over the years, adding their, adding their pieces. Um, so when we've kind of been looking at the curriculum, we've, we have split it into, this, into knowledge and skills. So we start with um, the literature side of things and what text, like what forms they need to really become familiar with um, in order to be able to then, as you said, approach those more challenging IB texts and the, the breadth of the texts they need to be familiar with. And also looking at the language, the nonfiction texts, and how are we approaching all those different text types. So we have that quite, that split. I don't know, some teachers like to merge the two. We kind of tried to find connections between them, but then still tried to find, find that breadth across them. And then the skills we traced back from the assessment. So we were looking at the IB and looking at, we have an oral assessment, we have um, a, clo a closed text exam and an unseen paper exam and a coursework. We trace that, kind of scaffold that back down. What would that look like at grade 10? And what would that look like at grade nine? So the oral assessments I'm doing with my grade 10s are like a mini version of what they do the year after. Um, so in kind of a nutshell, that was very brief, but that's, my experience has been very, very different um, in each of the schools. But kind of consistencies are trying to track it back whilst trying to balance a bit of the pressures and the politics as well that kind of play into that, it's even when you kind of want to start from scratch, you know? Yeah, I think uh, really interesting was your comment about this sort of um, transient kind of pieces in the sense of I, I hadn't thought about that before but working internationally I mean since I've been at my school we've probably had three or four different people in charge of key stage three all bringing their own ideas obviously um so it's really really interesting isn't it that you you know the stability of the curriculum and that's something I always think about in the sense of I feel like I spent my whole life 
working on curriculum and I know people say curriculum is never finished and it's never finished it would be lovely if it was nearly finished wouldn't it it'd be lovely if there were schemes of work for everything and you know you just picked it up yeah and... definitely <laughs> um one day one day maybe. do you think it's um, do you think it's because we're I don't know whether other subjects feel like this but I feel like sometimes in English um you know you have a lot of you have a lot of creative minds who have very precise and specific ways of doing things. I find it really hard to, I know we'll talk about this later, but I really from other people's, um, other people's lessons, you know, and sometimes that's right down to the curriculum. It's a particular text that I am teaching this year that I am not too excited about. Um, but then maybe that's just because I've not seen the benefits of that text. Or you just muted yourself. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like we're in a lesson. Your mic's off. <laughs> sorry, I was taking a sip of my Aperol. Can you hear it? No, and whilst we're talking Aperol, Tom, what, what's your thinking on Aperol spirits? And what are you drinking this evening? Because this is like cocktail hour, we've decided. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, you were saying. Um, just about kind of negotiating those differences between what different people want out of the curriculum as well. Yeah, and I think it. I think the point that you make there is very, very um, interesting. With re oh gosh, Tom, um, <laughs> very, very relevant with regard to English teachers. You know, some someone popped up on Twitter this week in response to one of my questions, and they were talking about the fixed content that they had to teach, and um. And whilst we have fixed content as English teachers, it is slightly more um, flexible, you know, in terms of the text that mm -hmm. we choose to teach. Whereas something, a subject like science, for example, they do have incredibly fixed content. So the, the sort of room for, uh, I don't know, manipulation or the room for sort of experimentation, you know, and originality and all of that perhaps is not as great. I think we're quite... I think that's a great thing, but it also makes it quite difficult. And I think it also means that we're constantly looking to new things, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so um, lots of people on Twitter this week in support of backwards planning. So Miss Bostock, 88, said, you know, focusing on skills, working back from IB and IGCC, then trying to cover a range of text types and themes, which absolutely we've just said we both do. Um, Fozia Yamin, I hope I've pronounced that right. We determine the skills they need to develop and then find the texts that best go with them. So that's really, really interesting. Talking about skills and then choosing your text based upon the skills. And I suppose to some degree, I do Barnaby Brockett a little bit with year seven because I'm looking to develop the skills of literal information and inference. And it's just a brilliant text to teach those skills um, with. Um, Miss Mermaid Mel says, working backwards, what do we want pupils to know and be able to do for success at GCSE beyond? Absolutely. So thinking about how we can prepare them for the, the key stages beyond. And then finally, Miss Paget said, we plotted the skills they acquired at key stage two. Now, that's really interesting. We haven't talked about key stage two and obviously picking up the bat the baton from our incredible key stage two teachers and carrying on what they're doing and and for english 
in particular, I think that what they do with writing and grammar is phenomenal. So obviously being very, very conscious of that and building upon that. And then she said it's also thematic, love, relationships and betrayal at year seven, power, conflict, adventure and discovery at year eight and power, conflict and morality in year nine. So that's something I want to talk about is conceptual planning. As I said, something that I wasn't as au fait with really in, in the UK, but has become so much more of my planning now that I'm working internationally, probably as a result of working with the IB. Um, but I have this year with Key Stage 4 um, taken to conceptually organising the curriculum. I mean, my, my hod luckily is very generous in terms of letting me do that. But it's worked really, really well. Obviously, at Key Stage 4, we are specification driven. So we have the core content that we need to teach. Um, but for me, I wanted to approach it in a conceptual way because I wanted to link into the IB and prepare students for that conceptual drive at the IB. Um, and it, it's worked brilliantly. So the first time we were looking at texts that incite and inspire change and through that kind of big conceptual question, we studied our main literary texts. We studied po the relevant poems and the relevant nonfiction that fed into that. And we um, studied letters, but I chose letters that obviously were written to incite and inspire change. Um, and the kids were really responsive to that in, in that when we went back to the big conceptual question at the end of the term, they were able to make so many connections between all of the texts we'd studied that perhaps they might not have done had we done it in isolation. So for me, the conceptual approach has just been revolutionary in my teaching and I absolutely love it. Rebecca, you've had more experience with um, NYP and the IB. So, so what do you think with regard to conceptual planning? I mean, what's quite good with the NYP program is that this is happening across the subjects, right? So the idea is that they are supposed to be making the connections, not within just the across their English units, like linking what they did in unit one to unit three, but actually across the other subjects as well, because there are so there are certain kind of subject specific or discipline specific concepts which are only within your um with your subject but most of them are actually shared along with other areas like you also make um you also make connections with what they call the global contexts as well so it's it's essentially just another form of form form of concept based planning but you are um you're basically ticking many many different boxes and the idea is that they're coming out of this um, being able to connect, connect those concepts across subjects and see that interdisciplinary re relevance. And I did see that come out sometimes. I think that it requires a building of a curriculum over a few years, actually. I think it's something that is pretty difficult to do in, um, in a year. And again, kind of that transience can make that a little bit difficult. But when you do it, like you said, it's it it's got it's really, really rewarding. Like at the end of my three years in in Vietnam, that was when I was starting to understand the benefits. I didn't really understand it until at the end of those three years. The thing that concept based can actually is quite heavy on the planning side um, because it's got an almost it's not really chronological. Right. Like. 
there was a time when curriculums, I think, I can't remember a time period when English curriculums, maybe they still do, begin begin with, um, you know, like 17th century and then work their way up or even back from mythology, which is a really nice way of doing things for different reasons. But conceptual is a different type of um, connection. And it is more, I think it's more difficult to plan. I think it's pretty pretty challenging but worthwhile if you're going to be somewhere for for a while yeah absolutely and um i mean i think the ib approach is quite a challenging approach Mm. to do well because for me and this is the thing that i always struggle with and i always sort of criticize myself for is that you have your discipline but there's so much more to the ib program in terms of the the concepts but in terms of the approaches to teaching the approaches to learning and then at the ib the global issues the fields of inquiry the talk um connections uh the the areas of lots of boxes it can feel exhausting i i think i mentioned saying this to you there was like you put up a question a while ago about it and i tried yeah i tried to see them as aspirational rather than achievable within within a lesson or with a within a week right and that's again or a lead on to medium term planning but there, there are so many things to think about that i think it would be so overwhelming to think about it on a lesson by lesson basis but if you can kind of like like theory of knowledge if you can drip feed those you can remind yourself once every maybe maybe once every six weeks i'm gonna throw a tok question in there or i'm gonna throw in a specific focus on global connections and and that can be done kind of in the lower grades as well but again that planning absolutely and i although i think it's really ambitious and although i constantly feel like i'm not doing enough i think that it's a really good model to work with and to develop yeah. and i definitely feel like i've my planning is getting better all the time because of the things that the ib programs are making me think about yeah definitely definitely and i've seen like this is my this is my fourth year is it the same for you Fred? or are you on your fifth uh fourth year in rome in ib in ib teaching yeah i did ib in padua for two years but i focused more on english b and then had one year of the langlet course i think Okay, so yeah, we're kind of four years into kind of this, um, and that's been with a course change as well, of course, like throwing in the course changes in there to throw you a bit of a curveball, so you're going in a completely different direction just when you think you've got it sorted, but they definitely made um, good improvements to the to the specification, I think. Definitely, and that's something in the UK, so the IB diploma program changes every, is it, five to seven five years. five yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just oh get God. your head around <laughs> creating a really strong curriculum and then bye bye <laughs> here we go again here we go again um so lots of support i think it, i think conceptual planning has become much more of a thing now in the uk and i think a lot more people are turning over to conceptual planning i think a lot of people would argue that conceptual uh planning is linked to themes as well so that people in the UK potentially calling them thematic curriculums rather than conceptual uh, curriculums and I think what's really interesting actually is the distinction um, in the IB program between key concepts 
and related concepts um, and thinking about those. And I, I think I've been, I've been thinking about that more recently after reading Making Meaning by David Dadell, which is an absolutely fantastic book on curriculum uh, for English. So if you haven't got that, do, do buy it. Thank you. For- <laughs> Have you been reading it? I have indeed. <laughs> Um, and the key concepts are the broad ones that that can span across, but the related concepts are kind of disciplinary. And so in the IB, especially, you know, at the MYP, you, you choose one key concept to focus on in a unit and, and two to three related concepts. And I mean, that's really, really interesting in terms of that development. But um, David Dedales, I think, identified seven concepts that he and the disciplinary concepts that he approaches in his curriculum throughout Key Stage 3. And it's a really, really interesting take on curriculum development there. Um, Key Stage 5, just really, really quickly. We talked a lot about Key Stage 5. I'm a bit out of the loop with A-levels, but um, obviously curriculum planning at Key Stage 5, specification driven again, although a lot of freedom, you know, with the IB, you can pretty much choose any text that you want to study as long as you have different times, different spaces and a text in translation. Um, So for me at first, it was quite intimidating to think about what I was going to teach. And I kind of followed my head of department at the time uh, and taught the text that she was teaching. And I've amended and developed as I've gone through and grown more in confidence. And as I said, we've got the concepts to think about, the global issues, the fields of inquiry. We've got the two different papers. We've got the individual oral. So what's really nice in our curriculum internationally is the oral element, which I think is really, really important for second language learners. Um, And it's a really nice way, actually, to I mean, it's a highly pressurized way um, to, to assess pupils. But it's a really interesting way to assess pupils, to have this oral. So in the individual oral, the pupils have to do a 10 minute presentation where they talk about a particular field of inquiry, say power, for example, but more nuanced than that. And they have to talk about two texts and their exploration of that field of inquiry. And they have to present that to you as a teacher. And then um, we get to ask them a few questions and have a discussion with them about it. And it's a really, really interesting way of assessing. Um, I know that you have the oracy element uh, at GCSE, although it doesn't count, which is a shame because actually oracy is probably one of the key skills that we should be looking to develop in our pupils. Um, And then we have the learner portfolio which I really love actually and I really really enjoy doing and I think it's a really good tool for anyone to build into any of their curriculum Um, so the learner portfolio is a collation of the work that they produce both in lesson and outside of lesson linked to the text that they're studying and the work that they're doing Um, and it's a sort of portfolio of their, their work over time which is really really lovely to go through and I use Google Sites to do that and it's just a really lovely way of showcasing pupil work. Um, uh, it's a really great tool. Um, Rebecca, IB, di- Diploma IB. Yes, I mean I I really love teaching the Diploma IB and like you said that, that oral assessment is, I think that A lot of the reasons they took it out of counting for the GCSE, I don't know whether it came down to logistics, but what the IB have developed as a way of assessing the oral is quite, it is like you said, it's quite complex. There's a lot of elements to include. And I think when we were first introduced to it, it sounded quite straightforward and it's become something that's very much 
one minute on this, one minute on this, then you have to change to this for the next minute. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of uh, planning and rehearsals that are really important for this oral and it effectively kind of, it makes sure their work is their own as well. Um, so I do like it. I like teaching the oral. Um, the papers are kind of much more similar to A-level. I think the paper, paper one and paper two feel like, like that was a closer connection to the A-level. Um, I taught A-level language. So I miss teaching the language, language theory, uh, you know, language and gender, language and power. Mm. But I do still like kind of the more the global the global aspect of the IB and being able to choose my own texts. At the minute I'm choosing, you know, I'm teaching a graphic novel by an American Vietnamese author. I'm teaching um, a novel which is by Ghanaian American author, which kind of traces a narrative over 200 years. Like, the, like you said, the choices and the creativity is endless and it can feel overwhelming, but if you have the support from your department and there are certain support groups online, like our group Freya <laughs> on Twitter, which has been invaluable. Like connecting with different people has been really helpful to support support us through it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about collaboration versus autonomy a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, especially when you start a new course and you just have no idea, the sort of collaboration is, is just so essential, isn't it? And our, we do have fantastic uh, private Twitter groups for the IB um, language and literature and IGCC as well. It's always worth doing. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
Wales Climate Education South Yorkshire will host its second climate conference this year. It is a free event and will feature Henry Firth and Ian Thesby, the world-renowned vegan chef duo Bosch, food upcycling organisation Foodworks and a science workshop from Amaze Lab. The event will run from the 1st to the 3rd of March and will include live and pre-recorded virtual sessions aimed at teachers and students of all ages. Coordinator Richard Souter said that Schools Climate Education South Yorkshire was set up in response to the climate crisis and the inadequate progress being made in combating it. We hope these conferences are the start of a journey for staff and young people in doing what they can within their schools and communities to both promote and advocate for change. Rafia Hussein, a secondary teacher in Sheffield, who was involved in the conference last year said, it got the environment ball rolling in my school. We were able to self-reflect as a school and think about what we can do both individually and collectively. It certainly raised awareness. Steve Chalk, founder of the Oasis Academy Trust, has warned that the lifting of COVID restrictions in England will lead to a further rise in homeschooling. Mr Chalk said, I think it will become a forced form of exclusion for those who are vulnerable, those immunosuppressed children and staff who are put at increased risk. Also staff who are living with their own immunosuppressed children. I think we will see a group of children turning away from education. It will lead to a further rise in home education. It can be a route for those who are worried or scared. All of this will play together in some unhelpful ways. The gamble, in my mind, is that attendance among many of the most vulnerable stops or goes down, so it becomes a form of exclusion. Removing the requirement for positive cases to self-isolate puts them all at increased risk. Councils in England reported in November that there had been a 34% jump in the number of parents choosing to take their children out of school to teach them at home. The DfE is also concerned about attendance, which stood at 86.2% in secondary schools on the 3rd of February, while pre-COVID it would be about 95%. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Okay, and oh, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, today I'm responding to a tweet from Michelle Stevens at m underscore Stevens zero, pointing out to at Team English one that a lot of people don't know about the snipping tool, and she was compiling a list of shortcuts. The thread sparked a lot of fantastic responses and inspired today's two minute tech. Today I present getting snippy with it. In Windows, a simple shortcut combo of Windows plus Shift plus S opens the snipping tool. The snipping tool is like an advanced version.
of print screen. After the combo key press, a small menu appears giving you five options. Rectangle select, which is draw a box around what you want. Freeform select, which is draw a shape around what you want. Window select, which is pick the window you want to capture. Screen select, which captures the full screen or replication of the print screen button. Some may say there's no point to this, but stay tuned. There is. Finally, there's a cross to close and pressing escape can do the same thing. If you have an interactive board, you can pin, snip and sketch to your taskbar. Right click the icon and select pin to taskbar. Now you can press it to make screen grabs and not have to go over to the keyboard. Snip and sketch also gives you the ability to annotate on a screenshot. To make this even more powerful, did you know pressing Windows and V shows your last 25 captures to your clipboard? The first time you use this, you'll need to switch on the feature by pressing Windows and V and agreeing to switch it on. Now you can take several screen captures and then paste them into the app you're presenting with. This can be very time efficient. For this week's visual version of the episode, I've made a series of clips and given some real life examples of using the snipping tool. So don't forget to check out CT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Oh my gosh, that was stressful. <laughs> that was stressful. Um, so I'm back. I mean, it looped for, for a start. My, my Wi Fi dipped, and oh my goodness. So the last time I sort of. Um, gave the show up because the Wi-Fi is so unreliable and it's been amazing for so long. And then, of course, it takes a dip during the show, but during the news and the adverts. So apologies if you can hear. And then I forgot about Two Minute Tag. <laughs> it's, it's all new. I'm a newbie. I'm trying to get my head around it. Uh, we're good. You didn't notice a thing, did you, those of you listening? Seamless. Um, Absolutely. Totally. Totally seamless. I think Tom might have has Tom gone as well, so perhaps he didn't even notice. So it's all good. It's all good. Um, if you've just joined us, we want to know what's your tip for tonight. We are sat here, Rebecca and I, with Italy's greatest, the Aperol Spritz. It is an acquired taste. It took me a few years to actually start to like the Aperol Spritz, but now um, I love it. Uh, we've been talking curriculum planning, we've been talking um, the importance of skills, planning backwards, we've been talking about core knowledge and identifying core knowledge, we've been talking about concepts, um, something that's really relevant to the international um, program, but actually we're seeing more and more in vogue in the UK uh, system as well, uh, the connections that people make through concept-based uh, curriculum. Uh, are quite rich and uh, provide really fruitful discussions. Um, on that note, actually, while I remember, there is a new book out at the moment for us English teachers, another new book, The Trouble with English and How to Address It, focusing on developing a conceptual curriculum. So I'm going to put it in order for that, and I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, so we'll be talking curriculum planning now. Hello, Annabelle. Lovely to see you. you. You're just making me think see teach. Um, <laughs> oh, um, we're going to talk about medium term planning. Okay. I actually think now, uh, for me, when I'm thinking about what I'm provided with as a teacher, a really good, solid medium term plan is what I'm after. We're going to talk about lesson planning. But actually, as, a, as an experienced teacher, I'm not sure that I want to work in a department, and I'm not saying my department is like this at all, but I'm not sure I'm going to work in a department where I'm provided with every lesson, because 
I feel as an experienced teacher, I can, I can plan lessons and I can teach those lessons. And actually, it's always really difficult to, to teach from other people's lessons as well because you don't understand their thought processes. Um, and whilst lesson, individual lessons are beneficial for some, especially ETTs, who are, I do think should be provided uh, with lessons, um, I think for us as experienced teachers, a good quality medium-term plan is a great thing. Um, but it's always something that I've struggled with in terms of getting it right, in terms of what needs to go on to a good medium-term plan, what's useful, uh, what needs to go on from a specification point of view, um, and how that is constructed. And I think one of my key thoughts at the moment We'll go to Rebecca in a second, is that actually there's a lot to be said for the co-construction of the medium-term plan within a department, in that then everyone has input, everyone has an understanding about the unit itself, where it's going, the core objectives, um, and there could be some really rich, engaging discussions, I think, around the table about the makeup of a particular unit of work. Um, over the years, I've worked on a variety of different sort of forms with regards to medium-term plans. The IB have a very interesting form themselves with regards to medium-term planning. Um, I don't think I've nailed it quite yet. Um, so I'm interested to hear what Rebecca says. <laughs> um, I think that when I, like, I'm with you, like, I don't like having... If, if somebody gave me like lesson kind of minute by minute planned, I wouldn't be able to teach it. Um, sometimes even certain activities, I just know maybe it's like my teaching style. I just wouldn't be able to, to do it. Maybe unless I kind of saw someone teach it. I think that in a medium term plan, the two things I would probably look for are and this is specific to English, kind of the resources they're using, and that might be kind of like websites or extracts, and then the choices of activity, the activities that are going to, the main activities that are going to lead to maybe that assessment, how that's being broken down. Um, that's how we work at the minute, kind of we try and align those small, so those kind of like milestones to working towards a bigger assessment or a bigger project. Um, we might reach those milestones at different times, but and we might modify them slightly, but we at least know what is happening in each other's classroom. And that I think that's really important from a mid-term, mid-term plan, medium-term plan, is that you know what is going on and you know that timeline and you don't have to go and search for, spend hours and hours and hours researching and resourcing it. Um, you should just be breaking down kind of the details on a lesson by lesson. Yeah, I think that's really, really interesting. I um, Someone tweeted this week about um, how they would provide links within a medium term plan to, to resources. And uh, again, I think... I think that's absolutely key, isn't it? A really good medium-term plan with everyone sharing resources onto a system of some form um, is really, really useful. Annabelle's just said sharing a Google Doc is the best, constant access and ability to update. That's a brilliant idea in the sense that you can um, you can amend, can't you, as you go and edit as you go and refine things as you go because 
if you, especially when you're teaching something for the first time, you know, you, you're going to want to refine and think about the approaches to certain things. Really like that idea. So, um, again, we got loads of feedback from people on Twitter this week. So objectives for each scheme of work and key tasks. I think we've said that, haven't we? Objectives. So lesson objectives or big questions. I think I'm in the second camp now. I used to resist it in my old school and I cringe a little bit now to think that I resisted it. My second department was really, really keen on it. I was like, no, the kids really need to understand the skills that they're learning. (laughs) And now I really like big questions. And maybe it's because I've moved internationally and and much more au fait with the conceptual approach. Uh, Rebecca, learning objectives or big questions? Mm, big questions <laughs> I'm gonna go with big questions and then the objectives I guess are almost for me like the questions are for them and the, the objectives for me kind of I know in the back of my head this is this I don't this is what I want them to be able to achieve or do by the end of this lesson well usually by the end of this week um I kind of plan I plan using slides, we'll talk about that later, for a week. Um, And then the questions are for them. That's how I would kind of, I think I've started to go. The MYP kind of, in your unit planners, you you set out your factual, your conceptual, and your debatable questions as well. And then you sort of arrange them throughout the unit, usually starting off with your factual and then developing um, developing it from there, moving to conceptual, and maybe ending up with a couple of the debatable questions. Um, So can I just say the legend that is Kate Jones has just entered the studio. Oh my goodness, how much do I love Kate Jones? Hello. Um, (laughs) I love you. (laughs) Um, Annabelle said big questions, but with learning objectives. Do you know the, um, I'm going to get it wrong, Rebecca, uh, but the factual, the conceptual, the debatable questions, I abs- I like that. That's a part of the medium-term plan from the IB that I really, really like. It really makes you think about your questions and your intentions and your purpose. Um, the factual obviously being quite knowledge-based, the conceptual obviously being conceptual. And the debatable is really, really nice because it's that evaluative kind of summative uh, response, isn't it, at the end of a unit. I really like them. Yeah, I quite I quite like them. I think I need to be a little bit better at um, embedding them within lessons. I have all these intentions at the beginning of the unit and I don't necessarily see them through. Um, so I need to kind of revisit it. But yeah, I really I really like spreading them out through and, and getting the debatable at the end allows them to make the kind of give their opinion on some of the bigger issues that the texts mm. and your topics are challenging. Yeah. Absolutely. Annabelle says, big questions, but with learning objectives, breaking that down so teachers and students can see how we build towards answering those questions. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Stanley Lady this uh, week said, a medium-term plan gives an overview, a progression of intention, every lesson outlined. That's something I've been thinking a lot about recently, actually. The kind of intentionality between behind what we're doing. That's been a real conversation hasn't it since the sort of uh since the reinteresting curriculum not that anyone's ever lost an interesting curriculum but there's been a greater focus on it over the past couple of years this intentionality um i taught a unit to year seven on mythology and it was really really interesting seeing their video reflections on that unit and 
some of them were able to explain why we were sort of studying mythology but not all of them and it made me really reflect upon actually how explicit I had been or how consistent I had been in why we were studying this unit at this point and I think that's a really interesting point from Stanley Lady in terms of that overview and the intentionality behind what you're doing and everyone being clear about that and then also thinking about how you are constantly kind of reinforcing that perhaps throughout a unit. Rebecca? Um, I teach, at the minute, I'm only on year 10, 11 and 12. So those are my three three year groups and their grades because so it's grade... Um, grade nine, 10 and 11. So whenever I'm talking to them, I am, con- I'm continually talking about what next year looks like with the, with the, um, with the IB curriculum. So it's kind of explicit in that sense. Cause I'm like, okay, we're doing this because next year you're going to be doing this and equally things that I'm not doing. I'm saying, you know, this is how it links in. I'd sometimes like to make that maybe a bit more meaningful. Like, you know, it'll, um, it'll make you a better, I'm doing this because it'll make you a better writer, a better person. Um, but I'm still working on how, how to make those, those ideas a little bit more relevant. And you want them to pick that up, right? You want them to pick up the, the real world relevance of why you are exploring, you know, mythology from, from different cultures. What's the actual like real life significance of it in addition to where your next kind of school career takes you? Yeah. So, I mean, when I got that feedback and I sort of sat down and thought about it, I mean, we hadn't spoken about the teaching of this unit. It was the first year of teaching it this year. And I sat down and I really had to reflect, you know, why am I teaching this unit right now? And actually what I came back to was one of the the core concepts about narrative, you know, linked to what I've been reading on David Dedale's book, uh, Making Meaning in English, I was teaching narrative. I was teaching narrative structure and something that obviously they will come back to time and time again. Um, Kate, we, we've been discussing uh, our tipple because we're going to try and make this like a aperitivo um, session alongside, obviously, teaching and learning. Um, Aperol spritz, Kate, where are you on the fence of Aperol spritz? Where is everybody on the fence of Aperol spritz? Stuart Pright doesn't like it. No! Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, no. What, what's your cocktail of choice? but I drink it in Italy. Well, you have to drink it in Italy, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> limoncello spritz, that is a favourite. We're, we're digressing, but that is a wonderful, wonderful spritz. Very deadly. Annabelle says, each learning cycle looks at the bigger picture and is communicated constantly with students. It's so important, isn't it? It's so important and something that I think we perhaps um, don't think about as much as we could. Elaine says, it's such an important and fundamental question to ask. Absolutely. Um so Laura Curran Bunn and Nellie Marie Ng said, we have great medium term plans in place designed by Laura and adapted by our current team. They show the sequence of learning, seven core lessons that anchor and direct the learning. So core knowledge and concepts are taught, disciplinary and conceptualized vocabulary highlighted using funky pedagogy. So that's Jennifer Webb amazing amazing woman um mtp that that's a really interesting idea isn't it seven core lessons seven core lessons that are 
planned and prepared for you so that everyone is is starting off on the same foot and then perhaps everybody digressing a little bit what do you think about that idea it is Ooh. isn't it Annabelle seven seven lessons so what time period are we looking at like how long is that going over well, do you know that, that that's one of the that's one of the things that I was thinking about. So for me, that would be two weeks worth of lessons. And then I'm kind of going it alone or not going it alone because you have a. So it's the first seven lessons. One. I like it. If I like the lesson and feel like I could teach the lesson. Well, Rebecca. <laughs> so is it is it the first seven lessons or seven lessons kind of spread throughout the unit first seven lessons um, yeah yeah I think I'd like that yeah yeah I think I'd like that I think I'm more like the seven lessons kind of like spread throughout the unit like these are these are the main but then obviously for cohesion that will be different yeah, I mean, Annabelle's right. She's saying, so it's ensuring that all have prerequisite knowledge. Absolutely. Although then in my head, I was just thinking what you're saying about having the seven lessons spread out. You could have seven lessons that target very specific skills um, that you want the yeah. people to, to acquire. So you could yeah, have, for example, like yeah, so you could have a lesson, couldn't you, where, you know, if one of the objectives for the unit is metaphor, that you're really focused on producing a, a brilliantly um, develop sort of lesson plan for that that you then all teach maybe um, might be harder though throughout a scheme in the sense of everyone doing it at the same time or I guess there would be flexibility it's a really interesting idea though so Elaine says I like this idea and adapted it to create just two to three core lessons um, around the assessment so we all have the same approach to generating a final piece um, it would also be good, Annabelle says, for comparative assessment of classes too. It's a super interesting idea. Really interesting idea. Um, I I don't know where I stand with that. Um, so I had a lovely long tweet from Ros Burrow. She said, clearly defined overall assessment goals for that unit of work. That's something that we haven't actually spoken about, actually. <laughs> In terms of a medium-term plan, we have to be really clear on, on what we're assessing and how we're assessing. And everybody has to be on the same page with that, for sure. Um, and an overview of the outcomes, big questions for lessons within the scheme, assuming a sequence of lessons is provided as a central resource, signposted resources as hyperlinks. I think that's really, really key. And I like the hyperlink to the resources there on a shared drive. Um, really, really useful. And I think actually the sharing and the generation of resources is probably what then makes this scheme, you know, makes schemes of work come alive, but also gives you lots of options and thinking to, to consider in terms of what you want to do. What can be left out if depth of understanding will take more time to deliver and breadth of content can be sacrificed for some um, classes that makes me laugh I'm always behind I'm always behind and I'm always in trouble for being behind because I go into lots of depth and I need to be better at that possibly also a bank of suggested plenaries and retrieval tasks if not built into the lesson sequence that's another option isn't it you know rather than a lesson a core lesson you could have a core starter or a core plenary You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org.
We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.